All right, welcome everybody into this uh, edition number one, the leadoff pop of Behind the Yellow Line. We've got Randall and Hello. Jeremy. Uh, Randall, yep. Jeremy, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Doing pretty good. I'm Ronan. Uh, we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, obviously, the, the purpose of this, we did a pilot edition of this podcast about 10 days ago or so, just to dabble, get our feet wet. But I think the idea here, gentlemen, is mostly Cubs, a little bit of baseball on the outsides of that. And uh, I know we touched on this in that previous edition, but I want to hand this off, Randall, to you as well. Behind the yellow line, what does it mean? What does it stand for? What are we doing here for the next hour? Uh, behind the yellow line references the yellow line uh, about a foot, maybe 13 inches out from the railing at the back of the lower level concourse at Wrigley Field. It is all the space you are permitted to stand uh, if you have a standing room only ticket. And if you dare venture over that line, one of the septuagenarian ushers will ask you to, in fact, move behind the yellow line, creating the name of this beloved podcast. And we've been going to Cubs games a long time. We were looking at this the other day, Jeremy and I back to 2002. I mean, I'm talking about together going to games. Uh, Randall and I, our first game, a Cubs Cardinals one in 04. Uh, Carlos Zambrano on the mound that day at Wrigley. A young uh, lots Dan, of losses. A young Dan Heron uh, got shelled for the Cardinals that day. And uh, somebody in earshot famously yelled at him. We'll see you at AAA, buddy. I think about that quite a bit. And lots of games. Over the years, a lot of losses, some memorable moments, both uh, at home and on the road. And now uh, me from Denver, you guys back in the Chicago area, uh, it's good to be doing this. So I'm excited. We got a lot to talk about today. We are going to talk a little bit about the new broadcaster for the first time since 2005. The Cubs have a new main play-by-play -play voice. So we'll talk about Boog, what he brings to the Cubs, and a little bit about Len Casper, too, who's been the voice of uh, one of the most exciting runs in Cubs baseball ever. Uh, interesting day today, arbitration rolling, new deals for Baez, Bryant, Contreras, Davies, uh, Hap still up in the air as of recording this, but a lot to talk about there. Theo's got a new job in Major League Baseball. We'll take a look at that. And then some odd notes around the sport as well. And I know we've got a rundown here. We're trying to stay on track with things, but there's an elephant in the room and it needs to be addressed right now, or I will not be able to concentrate on everything else we got to talk about. Randall J. Sanders, a memorable week for you. The big three, four entering the era of the wood. The big as you wood. celebrate your birthday. The era of the era of the wood, the era of the Lester, the era of the uh, sweaty Freddie Garcia era of the Walter Payton. Uh, a lot of historic number 34s in Chicago sports history, and I'm uh, honored to be joining that club for the next 363 days or so. Happy birthday, Randall. Thank you. You got a shout out from the Cubs this week. I do. Uh, yeah. the, Cubs, the, the Cubs on their various social media platforms, they, they know me, and they were nice enough to wish me a happy birthday. It does happen. So I got a... Trivia question for you both. It pertains to you, Randall. It pertains to your year of the wood. And I'm just going to throw this out there for you both. Uh, just quick answer. You really are not expected necessarily to know the answer to this, but that's part of the fun. It's stupid trivia. Kerry Wood, the man who we celebrate here in your year of the 34, there was one year in his career where he led the National League in strikeouts. Also, he led the uh, league that year in hit by pitches, but he led the year, uh, league in strikeouts that year. How many did he have and what year was it? And Randall, Jeremy, uh, 
Randall, you're the birthday boy, so I will say, would you like to go first or pass it off to uh, Jeremy? Uh, I'm going to pass this one off to Jeremy first so I can potentially piggyback off his right or wrong answer. So what year did Kerry Wood lead the league in strikeouts and how many did he have? Okay, I'm pretty confident that the year was 2003. Um, The number, I am between two numbers. It's either, and I feel like it's one or the other, because it's either like 233 or like 266. Wow. Okay. And I feel like there's one a big of those difference there. There's a big difference, but I, I feel like it's, I know it's 200. And the, the second number was like, you know, you know, 33 or 366. It was something like that. And I'm trying, I'm like blinking. And I, I don't think he, 266 seems too high to me for some reason. But to lead the league, I don't know. It just seems high for me for carry. I'll say 233. The year I'm pretty confident was 2003. He, a little number, number, another number I'll throw your way here is it was 211 innings pitched in the year that he did this. So that maybe changes something for you or maybe not. So Uh, 211 innings. Wow. So I, I'll, I'll stick with 233. Okay. In 2003. Yes. Yes. Randall. All right. 2003 would have been my guess as well. So I am also going to guess 2003 as the year. And I am going to guess 220 strikeouts for Kerry Wood in 2003. Well, you're, you're both right on 2003. Uh, Jeremy, you, you had it. It was, it was like whims. The ball was in your arms and you let it through and it bounced in the end zone, and now there's no touchdown, and the Bears lose. It was 266. And 66 strikeouts in 2003. Now, the reason that I also mentioned the hit-by-pitch, he did lead the league in hit-by-pitches, is he had 21 hit-by-pitches. So Sammy, number 21, 66, 266 for the strikeouts. All the numbers are connected here for Randall's birthday. Do you, do you have that in front of you right now? Uh, I do. Carry- I do. I mean, like his reference page open or exactly right. How many strikeouts did Mark Pryor have that year? Okay. Let me pull that up. There was one other thing I wanted to note on wood and I will pull up the. I I knew it was 266 or 233. I'm 266. I should have gone with that. His K's per nine were 11.3. It was actually better. His rookie year, 98, he had 12.6 strikeouts per nine. Um, obviously missed a little bit of time that year, only 166 innings, a ton of strikeouts, 233 strikeouts in 98. So I think that's where that number maybe came from, Jeremy, for you. Yeah, I think the 233 was from 98 and the 266. Jeremy, uh, Mark Pryor's strikeouts in 2003, 245 strikeouts in 211 and a third innings wow. for Mark Pryor it, in 2003. Because I thought he might have been second in the NL. His strikeouts, his strikeouts per nine, ten point four in two thousand three. So that was both, back in the day, the Cubs could actually strike people out, Larry Rostrav style. That's right. Both both pitchers, though Wood and Pryor, two hundred and eleven innings in two thousand and three. Pryor actually pitched a two hundred eleven and a third. But that there's a random. What are the odds of that? That at the end of the year, both of those guys well, will I have. Can, I can tell you, it never happened total. again. <laughs> They never pitched 200. I don't know if either of them ever pitched 200 innings again in their careers. Would know that. In fact, Jeremy is correct. Pryor would never come even close to 200 innings. 
uh, ever again. What was it? Two thirteen the year before, two thousand and two. Well, I, I I knew Pryor obviously went to the only question would be Wood, but I feel like he got hurt in 04 and 05 and like he got uh, hurt. Kerry Wood would also never approach two hundred innings, even close the rest of his career. Uh, two thousand four, he pitched only one hundred and forty and a third innings. And from there, it was all downhill. His, uh, he would not pitch more than 66 and a third innings in a season the entire rest of his career. Wow. Uh, the injuries played a big role in that, as did his move to the bullpen in the latter part of the decade. Uh, so that was, I guess, 2003 was really the, uh, the peak for the, those two arms who were once counted upon to bring the Cubs to the promised land. Yeah, they were both all-stars that year. The you know what Pryor's got, though? Prior has a World Series ring. A World Series ring. And good for him. Pretty cool what he's done in this part of his career, I think. As does Brant Brown. And Brant Brown, yeah, also with the Dodgers. Uh, Well, I've got a mini trivia to go along with that. This is We'll bring it home then and move into the topics. This is more geared for Randall, birthday specific. Randall, you were born on January 13, 1987. What day of the week were you born? And I'll give you a hint. I've looked this up before. It makes sense. It makes total sense. Uh, I am going to guess I was born on a Friday. Jeremy, you want to throw one in there? It makes total sense. It makes total sense. I honestly have no idea. Randall J. Sanders. I don't even know what day makes sense for Randall. Like, what's a day that Randall makes sense? I'll just say a Wednesday. Randall's a hump day. So you're both off. Tuesday. January 13th, two I obviously see. a big oh, number. Oh, Tuesday, Tuesday. Uh, I, get I get it now. I get it. Ronan, here's my one question before we, we jump into the uh, the meat of the podcast. Uh, how are we fitting the elephant in the room in this little standing room only space? It's, a, it, it, you know, yeah, I, that's a good question. It's, um, I couldn't, we had the rundown. Your birthday was at the very end. I just couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. It would have been distracting me all day. Uh, understandable. You were very excited for my birthday. It was exciting. Like, it was your birthday, and it was a big – you got that big tweet from the Cubs. I think that was awesome. So, it's exciting. It's a birthday pod. You know, I think it's important, too, because you start – everybody's excited for New Year's. You know, you get uh, – whatever. It's the start of the new year. But then you're kind of in a lull now. We've got spring training a month from now. Opening day is still a couple months out. Uh, all our teams stink. The Bears stink. The Bulls stink. The Hawks stink. It's just brutal. So you got to celebrate those January 13 birthdays. So, you, Randall – You do have to celebrate those January 13 birthdays because there's not a whole lot else coming up in the short term. Well, happy birthday, Randall. And we'll do another one of these in April. Uh, I'm up next for the year of the wood. Um, all right, Cubs news. It's actually been busy since the last time we did our little pilot app. Um, the Cubs have a new broadcaster, play-by-play voice, John Boog Shiambi. He's been doing national work for ESPN. Prior to that, some play-by-play full-time gigs with the Braves and the Marlins. Uh, Jeremy, We'll start, I guess, going your way with this. This is big. This is a big change. We were all shocked when Len Casper said he was going to the White Sox to do radio, of all things. Is this about as good of a replacement as you could get? I, I believe so. I, I think this was actually, uh, I would say it's a home run hire by the Cubs. It's somebody that, you know, the average fan is probably familiar with or that watches Cubs baseball or baseball in general uh, on ESPN. And, um, Booth, it's, he seems like a good guy. He's a good hire. He obviously knows the sport. He's very intelligent about the sport. It's 
when the early reporting came out, it was Chris Myers. Like, I don't think anybody would have been a fan of that. It, it was not. But Boog, he feels like a traditional broadcaster, a guy who will follow a team around 162 times a year. Obviously, it won't be 162. But, you know, he feels like a hometown broadcaster. He knows the sport. I think he'll work well with Deshays. They'll be able to keep what similar to Len because Len Len brought, you know, a little bit of more of a, they would delve into more, you know, certain topics like statistical topics that, you know, certain other broadcasts won't do. Um, But it was a shock and Len leaving obviously is, is, it hurts because he was, you know, so many moments that you associate with Len, even though I never thought like of Len as being like an amazing broadcaster. I thought he was a very good broadcaster, but you associate so many moments with him. So it, it hurts, especially to go the other side. But Boog, I don't know how they could have done better. There were a few other people that I would have you know, liked, but Boog was definitely at the top of my list. I don't know how you do better than Boog. Uh, as Jeremy pointed out, uh, Len Casper with a, a fantastic run in the Cubs booth. It seems like just yesterday that he replaced uh, Chip Carey in the Cubs booth. And uh, last I'm, on the last podcast, on the, the pilot episode, as Ronan called it, we discussed how this stretch of Cubs baseball has been uh, among the most successful in our lifetimes. Uh, So not only was Len Casper on the television call for most of those moments, but he's also been around long enough that he was the television voice for the last time the Cubs experienced any kind of repeated success in 2007, 2008. And if you think about the history of the team, which is steeped in tradition, but maybe not, so much in success uh, for Len Casper to have been the everyday television play-by-play voice, voice for playoff teams in 2007, 2008, 2015, 2016, 2017, debatable, whatever you want to consider 2018. Uh, and with uh, a pennant in a world series in one of those years, he had the good fortune of presiding over that many successful seasons. And we were fortunate enough to have him preside over that. So as Jeremy pointed out, Len will forever be associated with this, this period of success in Cubs history. And we were lucky to have him for that time. You don't want to forget 2020, Randall. Uh, okay, you're right. I did forget 2020, the, the, half, the, the half division Very title. Very important, yes. Uh, silly me for forgetting 2020, but that just uh, increases, that just increases my point that he was fortunate enough, he was lucky enough to preside over a number of playoff teams. Yeah. It felt like there were different eras in there too. He was there. So he came in in 05, which was a pretty rough year for the Cubs overall. Obviously, D. Lee had the batting title. You had Aramis at third. There were some big names in terms of the, those 2000s Cubs that were part of multiple playoff teams. But to be – what's interesting about Len is that when he came into the Cubs job, I think that he was – relatively unknown on a national scale. Like obviously he had done some work with the Brewers. He was the play-by-play voice of the Marlins, but it's not like the Marlins have that national reach in terms of their local broadcasters, especially back then when you're talking, you know, the very, very early days of getting into things like MLB TV. So he came in and it was sort of a lukewarm reception for him. He did not immediately endear himself to all fans. I think part of that too was that fans are always like reticent to change. Anytime something different comes in, a lot of people just have that initial, I don't know about this, but I don't think there's any question. And really that 07 season seemed like a turning point for him and the team got good that year, 
was Len really became a constant over the last 15 years, a part of really good teams, 07, 08, really bad teams, the early teens, and then obviously the run here the last five or six years. But it was interesting to see someone sort of build his name in Chicago in a really difficult job to be a primary play-by-play guy. What's neat then about Boog is that a lot of Cubs fans are familiar with him. They've seen him on ESPN. They've heard him on the radio as well. Like, it's a little bit of a different situation, I think, bringing in an established veteran than what Len was, a relative unknown at that point. Um, Yeah, and – Oh, sorry, Jeremy, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was Uh, just going to point out that um, you talk about the Marlins. It's interesting also, and it probably also helped him get the job, but that Boog – Worked alongside yeah. Len with the Marlins in those early years. Boog, I think he worked for the Marlins from like 97 to 03, around the same time that Len was there. So mm-hmm. I just think that's also interesting. But uh, Randall, you had something you wanted to say. Uh, Ronan, just before we talking about national reach, the Marlins barely have reach within their own zip code. Uh, I think it's important to point that out. Randall wanted um, to get in to take a shot. At the Marlins. I have to. I'm sorry. Ronan was talking about national reach of the Marlins. I, I had to say something. Um, but uh, to your point, Len Caster replacing Chip Carey, who love him or hate him, he had the name recognition, uh, obviously, with his family uh, history with the Cubs. And he was very much a broadcaster and still is a broadcaster right out of central casting. He's got his broadcaster voice and his cliches and his, his packaged calls. Um, and as you said, I, I do remember a fair bit of, of backlash to Len Caster when he, he came in. People felt he wasn't uh, a quote-unquote Cubs voice um, as he was much younger uh, and there was a fair bit of backlash and I always say that uh, he first his first great call as a Chicago Cubs broadcaster was the Aramis Ramirez walk-off home run to beat the Brewers in June of 2007 where his voice cracked and he really got up for it and I always say that was Len's first great call as the Cubs television play-by-play voice and I think that's when he really started kind of putting down roots and putting his name into the, the storied broadcast history of the franchise. Yeah, it's going to be weird for, um, to have Len be on the south side uh, announcing games on the radio but because he, he's a young guy. He could call games for a long, long time, uh, relatively young. Um, but, he, you know, he's only like, what, 50? So he probably got – he could have another 20 years if he wanted at least – um so but boog similar age and i and i hope that he comes and he's here to stay for a long time i know we're going to share him a little bit with espn um but i think that he he really fits and it's interesting because when you look at all these clips of boog working on these these cubs games that they're showing he's working with like sutcliffe he's working with glanville he worked with david ross so it's funny to think of him working with all these guys that he'll probably be around a lot with the Cubs, um, it'll be interesting to see if he ends up moving to Chicago, obviously Len did, um, or if he stays more on the East Coast because he's also going to be calling college basketball games and doing other things for ESPN. So I, I'm curious as to how ingrained he becomes like into Cubs in the city of Chicago as opposed to just being like a national guy who also does Cubs games. Mm-hmm. Jeremy, but, that's, uh, an ex- that's an excellent point. There, it, there's often uh, a good distinction between – the, the national voices who also have a majority position with a given team and the, the designated voice of a given team who also happens to do a little bit of national work, those can be very different things. Um, and, and to your point, it will be interesting to see what Boog 
decides to do career-wise. Uh, but you, as you said, hopefully he does stick around for a while. And I would imagine that whatever contract they have him on will probably have him doing a similar schedule for at least the next couple of years as he kind of settles in and makes that decision. Uh, and before we, not that we have to move on from talking about Len, but before we do, uh, it's funny to think that Len was actually their second or maybe even their third choice when they moved on from Chip Carey in the mid 2000s. I think Dave O'Brien might yeah. have been their first choice at yeah, the time. And he, unlike Boog, did not want to give up his extensive national commitments, uh, leading them down their list and eventually deciding on Len Casper. So it, in a way, it sort of comes full circle. Dave O'Brien, not quite as active on the national scene as he was at the time, but it sort of comes full circle where they were able to go out and get this, this national voice and bring him into the fold for the vast majority of their intended schedule. It, it, it seems like also he's going to be a really good fit with JD. Because one of the concerns I had when Len got laid off or not laid off when he, when he left was why is he leaving? Like, like what happened here? I mean, how do you walk away from the Cubs TV job to do AM radio for the white Sox? And Len has his reasons. Everybody's clear of that. Now he's talked about his love for radio, his opportunity to do that in a major city. And obviously they've got an exciting team they're building down there right now, but uh, it was concerning to me and I was worried about the future of JD. It feels like Ryan Dempster, for example, has been getting a lot more booth time and you can almost feel like he's being groomed uh, to, for that full-time analyst role. But once Boo comes on now, I think that's a great natural fit with JD. Their, their humor, the way they talk, I think it's going to be a perfect fit. And I don't think they will be as long of that period of adapting to it as Len even had when he first came on in 05. Yeah, I agree with you. I actually think that Boo might be a better fit with JD than Len was. Interesting. Um, I, I just, I just, I, well, I feel, I don't know. I'm not, I haven't, you know, obviously studied so much Boog Shambi, but just from watching them or watching him, excuse me, I just feel like, I don't know, his interests seem to line up more with JD's than Len's did. So I, I feel like they might, you know, have a little, they, I think they'll be a very good fit. And I think that I'm excited. I'm excited for Boog to call games. He was, probably my number one guy that I thought we should get. So mm -hmm. I'm very excited about it. Right. Len, Len was certainly not a, a, a straight laced individual by any stretch. He was perfectly content to, to chuckle around with, with the Shays uh, in the appropriate opportunity, but he was content to play the straight man to, to the Shays uh, as often as not. And I think Boog uh, will kind of feed the uh, Shays uh, tendencies a little more readily than Len did at times, not that they ever had any chemistry issues. Uh, you just felt like sometimes Len was perfectly content to just kind of call the game while Deshaies had uh, a wisecrack lined up. And I think Boog will perhaps encourage that a little more often. Uh, and like you said, I don't think there will be a whole lot of uh, adjustment period in them developing chemistry together. They both have very similar senses of humor. They're both content to laugh at the game as much as they enjoy it. Uh, and I, I'm looking forward to that first uh, Chiambi and Deshaies broadcast. I think it's going to be a lot of fun over the course of a full season. It's yeah, it's it, definitely, yeah. Go ahead, Jeremy. Well, I was just going to say, uh, you know, I, I'm just talking about their chemistry that it, it, it seemed to me like both Len and Boog have a little bit of like a hipstery vibe to them, but Len, I haven't seen as much Boog, but Len definitely had that whole, you know, music scene vibe that I wasn't sure JD was getting into. So I don't know how much Boog will play up with that. 
Yeah, Brenly. Brenly was the guitar player. Uh, Jim Deshay is not so much. He he'll he'll stand off stage and he'll he'll play the triangle, and that's about it. Well, it's been a it's uh, to be totally transparent. It's been a rough off season for the Cubs. They've lost multiple key players from their World Series title a couple of years ago. Theo's stepped away. This feels though like a win. Like this has been a hire that I think the fan base is really going to get behind, and the, the team's gonna get themselves back in a position where they're winning games. And I think Boog's going to be calling some big time Cubs moments here over the next five, 10, 15, and who knows how long he stays in that role, but he's going to become a part of these moments here in this next decade, like Len was for the last 15. And it's going to be fun to see that play out. And you, you certainly hope so. You, you certainly hope he stays long enough to cement his place in a lineage that includes Len and Chip Carey and Harry Carey and Jack Brickhouse and you hope that Boog stays long enough to become another another brick in that wall. Yeah. Wow. Rand, uh, Randall dropping the music puns. Who's the hipster in the group yeah, here today? I want to throw out one more note on Casper because, Randall, you mentioned the home run against the Brewers, the shot to left field at Wrigley where Len's voice cracked, that kind of being the first iconic moment two years into his time with the Cubs. The Cubs had a good team. It was a huge win against the Brewers in 07. And I was thinking, like, what else before that would have had the potential to be up there? And I was thinking of a moment that, unfortunately, Len wouldn't have been on the game because it was a nationally televised game. But in April of 06, the Jock Jones bomb home run against the Cardinals in the eighth inning it was like a Sunday night game the first week of the year at Wrigley, at which at the time was a big home run in a year that obviously got away from the Cubs pretty quickly. But that would have been an awesome moment for him. Obviously though, it was an ESPN telecast and he wasn't on it. I, I was thinking of a moment and I'm, I can't remember who it was against, but I want to, I want to say it was May of Oh five in the middle. Uh, it's really the start of Derek Lee's monster year, but I, I, I believe Derek Lee hit maybe a walk-off homer in May of Oh five and I'm blanking on who it was against, or it was a very late home run for the Cubs to take the lead and win. And I, that was like the first moment that I was trying to think of, at, but I don't remember Len's call on it. But there was definitely a huge homer in May of 2005 that Dealey hit, like a walk-off. May 5th. No, 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 I'm way off. I ignore that. Uh, we'll, we'll have to look it up for it next time. We'll I remember it being a day game. It was like around 4 o'clock. Uh, now, Ronan, you mentioned the, the Jock Jones home run game. That's an excellent point. Um, that Jock Jones home run was a home run in the bottom of the fourth. That very same game featured a grand slam by Michael Barrett uh, wow. in the bottom of the eighth to put the Cubs ahead for good. Uh, and, and to your point, I think that call by Len Casper would have been fantastic. Uh, you're early in the season then. Uh, so, they're, they're, as you said, in fact, it was only the fifth game of the season. So the season hadn't gotten away from the Cubs yet. It's a Sunday night game at Wrigley. The house is packed. People are in their, their jackets, sipping their hot chocolate. And for your then still beloved catcher to come up with the go-ahead grand slam against yeah. your chief rivals at home, I think Len would have done uh, just a wonderful job on that call. I think the game I was thinking of, I'm not sure if this is it, but yeah, this is probably, I think it was May 11th, 2005. D. Lee hit a walk-off homer in the 10th against the New York Mets. Jeremy, I have that game in front of me right now, and you are, in fact, 100% correct, as you so often are. Derek Lee homered, leading off the bottom of the 10th. 
off of Mets pitcher Heath Bell wow. uh, to give the Cubs a four to three victory over the visiting Mets that day. Yeah, there's one other. It could have been. Well, this would have tied the game. No, no, this would have taken. It could have been May sixth against the Phillies, where he hit a two-run homer in the bottom of the eighth to take the lead. But it was either one of those two games I remember in May where Diddy Lee hit homer. And I'm you know, to... that was a a famed Latroy Hawkins game. I remember that game very clearly, <laughs> watching it from the television in the palatial WGVK studios. Uh, that might old, be the game then, because I also remember watching the old it the tube tele- the old tube television on a cart that got cable, but not particularly well. Um, and I, you know, I, I think I remember the the loud scream I let out when that when that play <laughs> happened. Uh, Latroy is our boy. Play. One of those games that just ends up uh, ingrained ingrained in your memory based on where you were and what you did at the time, which was shout loudly in anguish. Well, it's, it's certainly a new era here for Cubs broadcasting. Boog takes over. Thank God it's not Chris Myers. And, you know, kudos to Len Casper. What an amazing run on the north side of Chicago. And I think it's cool that he, you know, Len, I do believe that Len really does have that interest in in some radio. And uh, he's an old school baseball fan. And I think it's going to be cool for him too to get some repeated trips back to Detroit a couple of times a year. And he's got a team, whether or not you like it, they're going to be competitive over the next couple of years. So um, we'll miss him on the North side, but it's a new era and it's going to be fun to have a a broadcaster that people are excited to see calling games this upcoming year. Besides Len, Len will be back in another 15 years when Pat Hughes retires and Len comes back and takes over the full-time radio job. It may happen may happen uh but we'll see um moving into some cubs news because again all the excitement this year has been broadcaster related this off season um cubs have come to terms here avoiding arbitration with some big time names javi at 11.6 million chris bryant just under 20 million wilson Contreras at 665 and then the newly acquired zach davies who came over uh, from the padres in the u darvish deal so no guarantee, of course, that all of these guys will be on the opening day roster, but at least we have a clearer picture of what they'll make in a full season next year. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it, to me, when I see those numbers, I get a little sad because, you know, there was always, for Chris Bryant, it was always, you know, he was going to get four shots through arbitration. He was, he was going to get, like, record arb deals, and he did at, at, uh, at the beginning. But now 19.5 after 18.6 last year, the year before that wasn't as, I'm not but it wasn't a huge leap. Like I thought this year, like back in obviously 2016, I'm like, oh, he's going to make like $30 million at the end of his R year. But the way things have gone, he's barely moved up a little bit. So it makes me do feel a little sad because I thought, because Mookie Betts had 27 million last year. And I would have thought that Chris Bryant would have blown that away in his career. And he, it just kind of stalled out for him, but yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens because in a normal year, I do feel I'm not, I wouldn't have been convinced that they'd be traded this late because this would be Cubs convention now, but this year, who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. The rules, the rules are out the window between uh, the pandemic, between what the owners claim are of course, uh, quote unquote, biblical losses. Uh, what, whatever we, whatever we thought we knew about the off season where you, you wouldn't think guys would be traded this late in the off season it's nearly impossible to predict at this point. And you certainly hope that they're not going to move any of these guys in deals that are going to make us tear our hair out again. Um, and if they do come to the decision to, to trade any of these players, you hope they get back uh, a hall that's a little more inspiring 
we spent plenty of time on this in the last edition, a little more inspiring than four uh, seven, 17, 18 year olds with limited experience above rookie ball. Hope, hopefully they don't trade any of them at all. Randall, I'm, I'm curious what you think Chris Bryant is in 2021, because, you know, if you look back on the last half decade, National College Player of the Year, Minor League Player of the Year, National League Rookie of the Year, National League MVP, putting up six plus, seven plus war seasons. 2018, he's hurt, uh, only plays in 102 games, plays about 150 games in 2019 with a 4.8 war uh, certainly good power that year as well 31 home runs and last year in the weird shortened COVID season it was a disaster 34 games uh, 0.5 war highest strikeout rate since his rookie year the power was down I mean what is Chris Bryant in 2021 you know that's a good question and often the full season numbers kind of obscure the story on a player like this Chris Bryant uh, at least in 2019 was having a great season uh, up to the point where he sustained some injuries that would nag him the entire rest of the season uh, in the knee. Uh, last year, obviously, he was um, bad by any stretch, but we know that there was a wrist issue that probably compounded any attempts to try and kind of work his way out of that. I like to think he will probably settle back in more to what he was in 2019. Maybe he won't be MVP again, but as you said, he's still an incredibly productive player. Uh, you gave his war numbers. He OPS 903 in 2019. He had a 132 OPS plus, 32% better than an average player, uh, league adjusted. So I like to think that with a full season of health uh, to, to build from, he will be productive as he was in 2019, and hopefully he stays healthy. He doesn't sustain any more injuries that nag him over the course of the half or even full season. So I'm optimistic that he's talented enough uh, and hopefully he's been able to get healthy over the course of this uh, this off season. That he'll he'll settle back in more to what he was in 2019. Yeah, I'm actually for KB I, as a huge big KB fan. I am, and I, and I I throw last year completely out. I, I don't even right. You can't take last, last year, year really as anything. 34 games. Like I love looking at him like 34 games. And he was hurt. You, you mentioned the wrist, but don't forget he had a back injury at the start of the year that he missed. Yeah. Coming out of um, those intra-squad games, but I, I I don't think he'll I don't think he'll be the KB of 2015 2016. I think that KB's gone. Question is, can he be the KB of 2018 2019? In 2018, he had an injury. 2019, obviously, had an injury. But you know, some of the stats, the underlying stats were decent. But his he his his exit velocity seems to have dropped over the past few years. Like he doesn't, he never really hit the ball like super hard. The one thing he always have has in his favor and still has in his favor is he hits the ball so high that he's, he launched like everybody was always talking about launch angle and everything, but Chris Bryant was just, that's just what he did. He didn't like have the, I don't know. His dad told him must move as a child, but he just launches balls. Like his launch angle is huge. He's always hitting the ball so high. So he's always going to get so much power, but the one good thing is he's a solid athlete. I don't know how his defense – I feel like his defense has kind of gotten a little bit worse. But he's a smart player. He's good on the base path. So, like, I still think he's a useful player. I think he's going to be a very good player, above-average player. Possible. I would say he could possibly – I would hope borderline all-star type player. But yeah, the days yeah. of being a top-five MVP type player in Major League Baseball, I think those days are gone. 
And so I'm a little concerned because I could see – you could totally see the bottom falling out. I, I don't count last year, but him, he's got to – if let's just say that he's back on the Cubs in 2020, in order for the Cubs to be good, he has to be good. Javi Baez has to be good. Those two guys cannot falter in any way. They have to be very good baseball players. Yeah, if, if one of those guys struggles, you're going to have some difficulty competing – assuming the roster holds as it does right now and you don't subtract further. If both Baez and Bryant struggle, you're going to be in even deeper trouble than you are now. And you bring up a good point too about last year, 34 games is a little more than a month. Like in a normal season, that would be his line on May like fifth or something. So it's really hard to look at that and say, Oh, wow. He, he was completely lost, but I think it's the eye test is part of it too. He hasn't, it's, it has felt like he has not looked right the last couple of years and that he has been just battling injuries really since 2018, when he got hit here in Colorado, he just hasn't seemed to be fully right since that point. And even when things are going okay for him, he hasn't been that super star type player. Like we saw the first three years of his career. Didn't he have a shoulder injury? I want to say in 20, like, yeah. I feel like he got cleated on a slide or something. Yeah. But so in 18, you're right. He did have a shoulder injury, but he also got beaned in that uh, there was a yeah, series of course field in April and he got hit in the head and, and that was brutal, <laughs> you know, yeah. but the shoulder injury would probably explain the, the zapping of the power. So he's had a few injuries and hopefully, obviously this year, he's going to have a long layoff. So hopefully he's getting healthy. He's coming back and this is all, you know, assuming Chris Bryant is on the 2021 Cubs. So he, I guess I think with him, we could mention Baez too. And I brought him up and talked about Baez. He's similar, like, and Baez put a lot of his issues and struggles on the fact that you can't watch video anymore. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm not Javi Baez. I'm not major league baseball player, but, and I know a lot of guys have complained and maybe for certain guys, it is a thing. Like, because I was re- maybe for Javi Baez, that is a thing. But for a lot of guys, they seem fine not having video. A lot of guys were able to perform and whatever. But I, you just, you need those guys. Those guys cannot, as, with this team, the way it's constructed today, they don't have the depth. They don't have the pieces they had in 2016. You had nine guys, a solid bench, you had a rotation. The Cubs and the lucky thing for the Cubs, obviously, is their division is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> but if they need to compete, Javi Baez, Chris Bryant need to be above average, very good, better than above average players. They need to be very good players in order to be. Because other than that, you have nothing on this team, like Rizzo and Contreras, but you need those guys. And they didn't, their last, last year, it was a short year, it was a weird year. They gave you very, very little. What, what worries me about Javi, and, I, you know, I was a little bit concerned about him in, even back in 14 and 15, whether or not he was really going to fit into the mold. Um, he's never learned to walk, so he's got no room for error in terms of getting on base. And then his defense is so incredible, but you're always kind of holding your breath when he's diving into tarps and into the stands and rolling all over the field to do what he does. I'm worried about him big picture over the next couple of years as his body continues to age. And I would feel more confident about him if he had ever really developed that skill to walk. Um, He hits the ball hard. There's no question about that, but 
he doesn't have other ways of getting on base. And I think that in some ways that's limiting him. Yeah, he, he, I understand that. I, I, the one thing about Javi, and I think we all love about Javi is that he affects the game in so many different yes. ways. And so he has skills that even if certain skills drag somewhere, he makes up for things in so many different ways. He's obviously a wizard on the base path. He's a great defensive player. He's, he's just, very strong baseball IQ. He'll do things that everybody thinks is, you know, obviously like, why are you doing this? Like what's wrong with you? And then somehow for him it magically works out, you know, El Mago. Mm-hmm. But I understand what you're saying. Uh, obviously his approach has never really progressed very far. Um, but he hits for power. He, he, he I, I think I'm not super concerned about Javi. Um, at long term, I still think he'll be a useful player because I think he does so much on the field that I mean I can understand your concerns about his body, but I, I think he contributes in so many different ways. Yeah. He's he's such a good defender, he's such a good base runner. He's gonna hit twenty at least twenty homers every year, probably thirty, closer to thirty. So he, I think you can live without the walks. It's it's amazing he has stayed as healthy as he has given how like violently he plays the game. I mean, 16, 17, 18 uh, missed a couple of games in 2019. And then last year, 59 of the 60 games for the Cubs. And you're right. He's a great base runner. He's electric in the field. Um, But those are things that don't necessarily age well as guys do get older. And Bryant's only in his age 28. I'm sorry. Bryant's in his age 29 season Baez is in his 28 uh, age season uh, coming up here. But I'm just concerned that, you know, you're totally right, Jeremy, and that if the Cubs are going to contend for a division title and get in the playoffs, Javi Baez has to have one of his like 2019, 2018 type seasons. But I'm worried about his ability to pull that off and to, you know, keep himself on the field given how aggressively he plays. And he suffered a, a heel injury early on in 2019. He, he played through it and he played the rest of the season, but his, his line dropped precipitously after that point. Uh, so to what you said about him staying healthy, he's certainly been able to stay on the field. But I think Baez being the just laser-focused competitor that he is, I think oftentimes he will suffer small injuries that he tries to play through, play through and they end up becoming bigger injuries. And I think that uh, saps his performance uh, a lot of the time. Uh, he, if, you, if you look at the – he sustained the injury in Washington uh, early on in the 2019 season. If you look at his line after that series – in the 2019 season, it was, it was not great. Um, so he's been able to stay on the field and there's a lot of value to that. You know, certain players, they might be st- still able to be very productive, their team if they're at 80%, as opposed to uh, missing maybe a month to let an injury heal and then coming back at 100%. And there are certain guys you might make that trade off with, especially if they themselves are unwilling to be sat down. Um, but I think sometimes, as you said, he plays the game with such vigor that it, it does uh, affect him negatively physically, and he doesn't always take the time off to let those heal and let himself get back to 100%. And going back to what you said about potentially his game aging, uh, I think you make a good point that as his, if his athleticism ever starts to uh, wane and his speed ever starts to wane, some of his value may disappear as well, but I think Javi is also so physically gifted and so, uh, so, so gifted with an IQ for the game of baseball that I think maybe as some of his youthful athleticism starts to fade, 
you could potentially move him to another maybe less physically demanding position and still get a lot of productivity out of him. Uh, I think maybe as his athleticism starts to wane a little bit, you could move him to third base or maybe even a corner outfield position, left field, and you could still get a lot of productivity out of him between his natural power and between his IQ for the game and things he might be able to make happen even without his, his great speed and his incredible athleticism. Yeah, I was going to mention that, Randall. Um, but in, in regards to Javi's aging, I, I was going to bring up his IQ and, and, and say, and while he might lose a step, and I think he is a guy who's so smart on the baseball field that despite the fact that he might lose a step, he's always going to be a guy who's maybe who's making – who's making smart plays or extra galaxy brain plays, you know, that it's going to, I don't, I think you'll get some gain from that. I think, I don't think yeah. you'll have such a big drop off because I think he's able to, uh, you know, deal with it, um, you know, and able to, you know, I think he'll be so smart on the field that it, it's not going to affect him as much. Cause I, I think, he's just a savvy, savvy guy and he knows how to position himself. He knows like, that's a huge thing. He, he has such an innate uh, feel for the game of baseball that he knows where the ball's going. He knows who's batting, who, you know, speed on the base pass. So I, I, and he could read pitchers on the base paths. So I, I think you'll, you'll, you get extra things with him that maybe the average guy who's so built on speed and whatever type of game as aging, you wouldn't necessarily get. He's just yeah. a very smart baseball player. Right. Not to compare apples to oranges, but if you have a, a young pitcher with a blazing fastball and uh, a sky high pitching IQ, that age is a lot better than uh, a guy who just goes out there and throws 100 without any real thought behind it. Uh, and I think Javi is a lot closer to being the former than the latter. Uh, he, we, we keep saying it, but it's still true. He has such a, a, a high IQ for the game that his game, I think, will age a little more gracefully, even as his athleticism starts to wane. Well, they combined Javi and Chris last year in the, as our good buddy White Sox, uh, Jeff here, um, would say the COVID Cup season combined for 0.5 war. I, I think assuming both are back, and that is a pretty big assumption, but assuming both come back next year, I would certainly bet on both of those guys contributing more than that next year. It's just going to be a question of how much will they look like the previous players that we've seen from them. It seems very unlikely to me that Javier Baez is going to put up another zero war season. You yeah. Think, I, I, if they don't, then the that. Cubs are screwed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then it's real bad. Um, a couple other arbitration moves here. We talked about Zach Davies last time, but he comes in at 8.63 million. The Wilson Contreras number, which was finalized uh, today, 6.65 million. Just the first thing that I see with that is, man, what a bargain for a catcher of his caliber with the bat, all the improvement that he's made behind the plate. Uh, There's a lot of chatter right now, too, that the Cubs may be shopping or at least taking offers on Wilson Contreras at $6.65 million. That is a steal for a catcher like him. And I, I hope he's back on opening day. Yeah, I definitely hope he's back on opening day. Um, but, you know, he's another year left, so this is – he's not his last year of arbitration like Javi or Davies right. or Wills – or, excuse me, Chris Bryant, so number's going to be a little lower. But uh, I agree with you. Um, there's some catchers out there. There's some talk. You know, the Cubs have been some interest in Castro, Jason Castro. 
Yeah. Um, I, I obviously, if Castro was a backer to Wilson, I think that would be amazing. But Castro could also would, be, that would be a very strong catching tandem. Yeah. But Castro could also be a starting catcher if they trade Wilson away. But I, I could see them train Wilson away. I'm not going to, to me, everybody's obviously available. If they get a good offer or an offer yeah. they like for somebody, they'll, they'll pull. I'm Wilson it does seem more likely to be traded just because that number, that 6 million number, plus you get next year. I feel like it's harder to fit in 20 million that you're going to owe Chris Bryant in this off season. So a 6 million, I feel like a team could take that on a little more easily uh, this year. So I do think Wilson is more likely to be traded, but I don't know. At some point, I know Mookie was trading like February of last year, but at some point I feel like, and this is going to come into our discussion of when is the season actually starting? At some point, you have to get ready for spring training so and for the season. So I, I do feel like the longer this takes, the less likely we'll see any guy move. Like every week that somebody's not moved, I think the likelihood of them being moved by whatever spring training is or the season is drops. Jeremy, Today, that's, a, you know, there's a, that's an excellent point. You, every, every amount of time that goes by without these deals happening reduces – uh, the likelihood of them happening. It's not that guys can't get traded in spring and big deals do happen in spring, but generally once you start getting to within a week or whatever of spring training, that's when uh, I'd say the trades become less likely. And we're already in mid-January. If they start right. the season on time, and that's an excellent seg, by the way, if they start the season <laughs> on time, you have four weeks, four weeks until pitchers and catchers will start to report. Yeah, and me, like last year, this week would be Cubs convention. And my mental thing, and I know this is not true, but it's like, to me, you don't introduce Chris Bryant at, at Cubs convention if you're intending no. on trading him. Like, you wouldn't but, do that, and which I did last year. This year, obviously, there's no Cubs convention. So this year, the whole thing – I mean, half the league hasn't even signed yet. You look at fan graphs, there's like 100 more projected that are still free agents. So the wow. whole thing is up – we don't know what's going on. It's just – Typically in my head, it's like, okay, we're four weeks from spring training. At some point, these guys have to know where they're going for spring training. So the likelihood it have to, it doesn't happen goes down a lot every time as time elapses. Well, speaking of booing at the convention, and this is convention time. Normally, we'd be talking about that uh, also right now and watching pictures come in and stuff from it. A year ago, right about now, Tom Ricketts stands up there. He mentions the Marquee Network, a chorus of boos rain down on him because you know Cubs fans love WGN we love all the history with that um, and a lot of Cubs fans want to be able to watch games which you don't necessarily get with Marquis uh, Ricketts makes the comment you won't be booing me a year from today Jeremy if if Tom Ricketts <laughs> showed up at the Cubs convention he'd be booed out of the ballroom he'd be booed down the street I, I the, maybe the they worst canceled part of the COVID. ownership panel 19 but maybe the how... worst part of COVID here, and, and of course I'm kidding, but the worst part in terms of baseball is that I don't get to see thousands of the types of fans too that are going to Cubs conventions just pouring on booze on Tom Ricketts while he stands up there with that smug look. The booze oh would God. have washed him out of the hotel into the nearby river and down the river. He, There's he no would chance. Have, he would have washed would have, into the lake. He would have given the mic to Boog or whoever the the – that it was still line up there or whatever, but he would have given them what Pat Hughes, he would have given David Kaplan, 
he would have given them Colwright, whoever it is. He would have given the mic to whatever announcer. He would not have showed up. There's no way. He, he would knows. have done a recorded video message and then turned off his phone for the duration of the convention. He, he has to know. There's no way he would have gone out of there alive if he came up there and started talking. Although last year, the fact that he didn't realize he was going to get booed for Marquee Network, Sports Network, was pretty surprising you could obviously tell he was totally shocked by it living in a little bubble of what they're doing thinking that the fans are just gonna love everything it was like, like the uh manford reaction in houston or i'm sorry yeah. in uh, arlington um just you could see him like panic at getting booed publicly like that yeah it's and he was like and i don't think he realized that fans you mentioned they all want to see WGN and everything. And I, I do think that was a huge part of it, but I, I also think like fans see it as they, they see it as like, you know, a Tom Ricketts money grab. Yeah. Like we're doing like, okay, we're getting rid of WGN, whatever. So I, so we can make more. And Tom Ricketts is like, well, we're making more money to put it back in a team. It's more fan friendly. That's going to be a whole network about fans. But I don't think he realizes that like, and especially when they didn't have any cable deals, really people aren't, gonna cheer for like what they think is like you putting your own financials above the team and then also the fans aren't gonna get to see games or struggle to see games like where is this coming from that he thought he was gonna get a lot of cheer the the jack daniels sports book at wrigley field is not going to build itself all right that money (laughs) has to come from somewhere that'll is that gonna be my question is is that gonna be open to the public during games that that'll be a good question to find out i would I would imagine so. I mean, the, the, um, I, yeah, I would imagine I would so. so. Yeah. I would hope so because I was just thinking about just, just right in this moment, like, when, if that's open, like, what, you don't want like half your stadium sitting in the Jack Daniels Sports Club. You want them out there watching the game. So I'm hoping that the people there are just, I don't know. I mean, it would be fun to go there if it's open for public and like, you know, go watch a game if you don't have tickets to the game. Right. Not really. That would be fun. I, I imagine it would be operated more like any of the restaurants down there because you, you they would lose money if it was only open to ticketed fans on game day, I would think. Yeah. Um, and I mean, they, I don't think they care personally whether or not the fan is sitting in the bleachers or sitting in that club, as long as they're spending money, you know, the Ricketts family would be perfectly fine with whatever they're doing, but you'd feel like there'd be more opportunities for fans because there are still fans who go to a baseball game. In fact, who watch baseball and they yes. go to Wrigley field to actually sit in the park and watch the game play out in front of them. Um, yeah, I think still that want they, an atmosphere at Wrigley. What a right. novel concept. Well, but Jeremy, that's actually a good point because, and look, the sport's changing, the dynamics are changing. I have been concerned when the renovations have started that we're never going to have that full house, full ball game feeling like we saw particularly in the late 90s with Sammy and into the 2000s with after 03. I mean, every game was sold out in the, the end of 03 and then 2004, full houses on midweek day games in the middle of April, we're not really ever going to have that again. There's too many extra distractions at the ballpark. And that's sort of the nature of going to pro sports games in 2021. You know, people are in clubs, they're in their nice seats. It's not unique to any team. I mean, look at the Yankees. It's been a huge talk for the Yankees since they moved into the new Yankee stadium, that all those beautiful seats down behind home plate are empty because those people are sitting in clubs instead of actually watching the action. 
Um, so I think that they'll, they'll bring in fans that maybe would rather be gambling than actually watching the game. So I would imagine it's open to the public on game day. Yeah. And, and the Cubs have a little bit of that themselves with, uh, they had, what is the club they opened behind uh, home plate as well. I'm blanking on the name with the 1914 club or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just, you, you still want an atmosphere at the ballpark. So I don't want anything that takes away from fans being at the ballpark. So, I mean, I, I think it'll be interesting. Um, gambling has gotten huge yeah. now. I mean, it's everywhere. It's part of sports. It's, it's not ines- going away. It is inescapable. Yeah. I mean, I've even thought about, you know, downloading one of these apps for living in Illinois that's legal and, you know, but it's, it's pretty incredible how much of a part of it, but um, I, I hope it brings to the ballpark. I don't mind. I, to be honest, I don't mind getting degenerate gamblers to the ballpark. They're sports <laughs> fans. They're going to be there. They're rooting for the sports. I, they're not the te- people I'm like, Hey, they're, bring them their all money, here. their money pays for renovations just like everyone else's does. I mean, what do you think the a lot of those bleacher bums were over the years? They've been going to the ballpark for a long time. Yeah, bring them all. Bring them all. I don't care. Uh, one more uh, arbitration case here, too, that's kind of pending at this point. Ian Happ, $4.1 million is what he wants. Cubs offering $3.25. Randall, is there anything here that maybe they could work out an extension with Ian uh, at this point in his career? He's established himself as a solid center fielder or left fielder in the game. You know, Ian Happ, if you were to create a short list of Cubs who are probably most feasible to extend right now, um, I would say Ian Happ is probably at the at the top of the list. And, uh, you know, our arbitration is a, a difficult process. Sometimes we make a lot out of the, the player and the team not agreeing by the deadline and having to go to a filing. But uh, the Cubs have had, was it one arbitration case in the last, However many years, I believe Justin Grimm ahead of the 2018 season. Terry um, had one like 2010. Uh, Terry, well, you forgive me for forgetting Terry as much as I might try. <laughs> uh, you know, I would I would say he is a candidate to be to be extended, and you know, hopefully he and the team can come to an agreement on um, a, a suitable salary and arbitration right now. But I would say he is a, a a candidate to be extended. He's young. He's very talented. He's athletic. We've seen him be productive from both sides of the plate. He's a, an okay center fielder, and I think he would be a very good corner outfielder if the Cubs could acquire a center fielder to push him to a corner. So I would say that to whatever extent you believe ownership is willing to pay the money to extend a player right now, uh, you know, Baez is probably at the top of the list. You would hope Rizzo is maybe kind of 1B or number two on that list just by virtue of being – the, the leader of this team, the heart and soul. But beyond those two, I would say Hap is probably the next most feasible to extend based on his age, uh, his skill set, and his role with this team going forward. Yeah, Hap, I, I like Hap. Uh, he, he brings so much to the table. I mean, not probably, as you mentioned, a great defensive center fielder. I agree with you if the Cubs could get a center fielder, uh, maybe a Jackie Bradley Jr. type. You can move half over to left field, um, but he can hit. He can hit for power. He takes a lot of pitches. He has a great walk, right? He struggles with strikeouts, as many Cubs did. Uh, he struggles probably to make contact more so than chasing like a guy like Baez would. Uh, but I, I like Happen. Obviously, you know, this is a big 
arbitration for him. And it's a weird arbitration because it's his first arbitration and he's coming off such a weird year that like the Cubs are going to come in. Well, you know, two months and he's going to be like, yeah, but I was great in those two months. So, but hopefully that's the starting point. It's not contentious and it could be the starting point for something. He definitely seems like a logical extension guy. Right. Yes. And Ian, Ian Happ being the, the smart guy that he is, in fact, he's the team's uh, player union rep. He, I think, is uh, he, he learning the business of baseball as much as anyone uh, and kind of preparing himself for uh, the rest of his career by having a better idea of the economics and ownership money. Um, and so I think he's probably not thrilled, maybe, that they couldn't come to an agreement, but I think he probably understands how, you know how the process works and he's probably not overly phased by it and that doesn't play a huge role but I think it it changes a little bit uh, versus maybe a player who is not as well versed in the business and the economics and who is not as involved uh, with the union and the negotiations so there's there's a lot of different angles to it and Ian Happ uh, as he is on and off the field there's a lot of different angles to him that uh change kind of the way I think how he looks at the game and the business of it that would factor into whether he would sign an extension or not. He was uh, he was a lot of fun to watch last year in the two months of baseball that we got to see 12 home runs, uh, something like three or four of them were leadoff shots. And the Cubs have had a lot of trouble the last couple of years, finding an established guy at the top of the order. Uh, he makes some plays in the field too. Like he, he's been enjoyable to watch in uniform. And I think that for a number of reasons, he is a good fit for an extension and it still feels like there's room for him to get better too. Even though he put up nice numbers last year, a high on base percentage up over 360, two or in 57 games, but it feels like he's not quite hit his full potential yet. Yeah. He, he, he did struggle a little bit. I would say in the last month or so of the season, I uh, got off to a really hot start, but uh, he's definitely like I agree with you. He has some potential. He improved so much coming from triple. He got sent down to Iowa. And he didn't even really yeah. seem like he was doing amazing in Iowa, but he had did well enough the last you know week or two he was there to push for the Cubs to calm back up. And ever since then, he's taken off. He's been great. He's the last couple months, two months, whatever he got to play in, in 2019, he was great. And he was, uh, what was he, the reigning player of the week uh, for like yeah. – a hundred weeks because the season never started <laughs> the last week of the season. Um, but Hey, maybe he only should play the two months of the last two months of every year, but uh, it'll be great. And then, you know, after he had it, uh, Kyle Hendricks had it for the first week uh, this past year after that shutout on opening day at Wrigley. So the Cubs had quite a stretch there. Uh, a long time of the reigning national league player of the week award. I think Jeremy's onto something here in this era of specialization uh, you have pitchers who only pitch in late in games. You have players who only enter as defensive replacements. Who says Ian Happ can't be your your late season, your August, September closer as a position player? He only plays those last two months, and he, he never struggles. Yeah. I mean, I think I, – I like Ian. He hits from both sides of the plate. I, I think he's going to be a major contributor for a long time for the Cubs. I hope so. And uh, we'll see what happens with that final tally here. Again, Hap wants 4.1, the Cubs offering 3.25, and we'll see what they end up uh, figuring out there for arbitration. And we'll see between Baez, Bryant, Contreras, and Davies who all is on that opening day roster next year. 
running out of time here. A couple of notes just to touch on quickly. Theo Epstein's got a new job, special assistant here now with the Major League Baseball Office of the Commissioner. Uh, I guess not real surprising here in his going away press conference with the Cubs. One of the things he talked about was that there are some problems in the game right now. Those three true outcomes, the walk, home run, strikeout, uh, part of his responsibility in uh, sending on notes and messages over to Commissioner Manfred is improving the play on the field. And what better person to put in that role than one of the smartest minds in the game. So interesting, I think, to see Theo taking on a, a position with the commissioner's office and getting an opportunity to share some of his expertise to maybe improve some of the quality of play on the field. Yeah, I think it's a perfect job for him. I, honestly, I think he, Manfred's job would be the perfect job for him. I'm all but, for that. All uh, I don't. I don't think so. I, I don't. don't think... And what I mean, uh, here's the thing. He left the Cubs, in part, I think, because he was sick of Tom Ricketts, and he didn't want to have to cut up this team, knowing that this major salary cut was put on him. Yeah, I, Why would I, he want to go and work going. for twenty nine other Tom Ricketts? I don't, you I don't think be, that's what he doesn't want to be the owner's stooge. I see where you're going with no. this. I think he and wants to be I an owner. Yeah, yeah, maybe he does want, want to be an owner. But I, I do think him, if there was a real job of an actual king of baseball, not king, but commissioner of baseball, that's not beholden to the owners. Somebody who's actually putting the game first, you know, baseball first. Um, I think Theo is the perfect per person for that job. And to see him get this job, I'm very happy about it. Well, first of all, I'm happy about it because – you know, being selfish and jealous, you know, you're being the jealous ex-girlfriend. You don't want to see your guy go to somebody better. So I like that he's going to Major League Baseball and not another team. That's but, an excellent uh, point. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, I think he – when he's not – he's not he's not in the position, you know, right now to win baseball games. So as he said, like, the game the, – the way the game developed was because they were – they don't care about the, the aesthetic of the game when they're trying to win. But now he doesn't have that pressure to win. So he can focus his whole time on what makes the game of baseball better from an uh, on-field, aesthetically pleasing game better. And I, I think he's the perfect guy for that. He can focus and think about it. We'll see what happens next year and the coming years. But I, I'm very confident now, not just not just to get Rob Manfred just throwing something up against the wall and hoping it sticks. Yeah. Uh, you'll have somebody who's cerebral thinking about this. It, Roman, it is. You, go you ahead, make, Randall. You make an excellent point. Uh, I hadn't really thought of that. That Theo, having just left a job, probably chiefly because of uh, an owner, probably wouldn't want to go work for that same owner and the other twenty-nine owners immediately. But as Jeremy said, if there were a position of someone who could oversee MLB without being answerable to ownership of thirty teams, Theo would be perfect for that. Uh, we, we know he is deeply ingrained in the game. We know he would have the game's best interest in mind. What would make the game better without drastically changing it? So if there were a position like that where you could be the commissioner without being answerable to the owners, uh, Epstein would be perfect for that. And yeah. working, working in the commissioner's office in this advisory role that he's ostensibly taking, I think is an excellent way to keep uh, one of the game's great minds working on the game and hopefully working to, uh, working to make it better. And, and Chicago too. Yeah, and, and I think I think it's good for baseball that someone as intelligent as him, but also I don't doubt for a minute 
that Theo loves the sport of baseball and he loves the history and the tradition and the mystique and all that. I don't always get that when Rob Manfred's talking, you know what I mean? And that's not an original thought. A lot of, I've been hearing this people saying, does Rob Manfred even like baseball? Like, does this guy care about the sport? Does he love the things that those of us that go to dozens and dozens of games a year value really, really value. So at least there's going to be a voice in Rob Manfred's office. At least there's going to be somebody who reports to him who, I I don't know, I trust, right? Like I trust that his best instincts or whatever are for the good of the game and for the good of the sport. And I think Rob Manfred needs more people like that in his life. Yeah, I think it's, like I said, I think it's perfect for him. I think it's perfect for baseball. It's perfect for Rob Manfred because now Rob Manfred doesn't have to you know, he, he doesn't have the pressure of having to deal with these things himself. He can just be like, Hey, Theo's on the case or whatever Theo says goes, you know, I'm just yeah. here to, to ruin baseball in other ways by trying to grow the game as much as possible and suck all the cash out. But, right. <laughs> you know, but on the field, he's could go with the Theo. Theo's got it. You know, Theo's yeah. going to take care yeah. of all this stuff. And I think it's perfect. Yeah. I love it. And when I mention ownership for Theo, obviously he doesn't have the capital, the billions of dollars that a Ricketts family or a Cohen family or any of them have that are the owners. But I can certainly see him as a team CEO with an ownership stake down the road. And I could see him, instead of having to answer to owners, maybe taking over that leadership of a franchise in the next I mean, couple Derek of Peter years. Derek owns nothing of the Marlins. I mean, he owns a little bit, but he owns basically nothing. <laughs> Yeah, he, he owns that little he owns that little post office in what is it Bermuda, the Bahamas, where the team <laughs> where the team is incorporated. That's what he owns. He owns that little tiny piece of land. But, but Rand, every opportunity to take a stab at those just Marlins, Randall's going to take a shot at now, Hold on, Jeremy. Jeremy brought that up. I was just giving some background to what Jeremy brought up. I brought up that he owns the Marlins. Derek Jeter's and he, you pointed out he only owns a tiny part of them. Yeah, he owns very very little shares, actual shares. But I can certainly, yeah, I can certainly see Theo maybe going that route. And in the meantime, I hope, I hope the organization of Major League Baseball, and of course, making money, generating money is priority one through 100 for them. But the people that are part of this that are, I don't know, more in love with the sport, I hope that they can take some good ideas from him and implement that. And, and it's a win all around. Um, it's cool, though, that he can stay in Chicago. And, you know, he's going to be seen around Wrigley Field once fans can get back in there. But uh, he's young still. He's got a long career ahead of him, whatever he chooses to do. And we're so fortunate that he ended up coming to Chicago and was able to put together that magical run over the last decade. A home stretch here. We're running out of time. We'll go through this really quickly here. Just some super quick thoughts from both of you. Some uh, major transition actions in the last couple of days here. Former Cub, not so great. DJ LeMahieu, who put up wonderful numbers in Colorado, he's been a star for the Yankees, is staying in the Bronx, six years, 90 million. Randall, I'm just shocked sometimes when I see what has come of DJ LeMahieu's career. Yeah, you you wouldn't figure on him, because he was a fairly high draft pick, wasn't he? Second round, maybe? Second or third round. Second or third. He was a fairly high draft pick. Yeah, you know, you don't figure on the guy who comes up for a cup of coffee with your team getting traded away, um, becoming this gold glove batting title guy, even if you want to put a, you know, maybe a note by his batting title earned in Colorado. Uh, you, you wouldn't have figured on him becoming this, this long tenured, highly paid player, but he's got a skill set that plays right now as a contact hitter, the ability to get on base, play multiple positions in the infield and just be a well-rounded offensive player. 
that that plays right now and you know good for him in a depressed economic environment within the game good for him for getting his money and staying somewhere where he's comfortable and can be well paid so good for good for dj and certain chicago writers will be very happy for him and probably asking him for money yeah I, I Jeremy, any thoughts i'm a little surprised at how well he did i thought six years 90 million i was like especially the, i mean i understand why they did it the lower the AAV, uh, the average value. But um, that I was like six years. Wow, for DJ LeMay, who's 32 years old. Um, seems like a little bit of an overpay, but the Yankees can afford it. They're, I mean, it's probably not that much of an overpay. Uh, and he, he he's morphed into a great hitter. He I, I think he we mentioned launch angle earlier. He, when he came with the Cubs, he kind of had like a very line drive swing. And I think he's done better. I, I'd have to look more over it, but done better at lifting the ball and hanging the ball up in the air. Plus, he's always hit in very good home ballparks, course Field, New Yankee Stadium. But uh, Yankees, to me, still the favorites in the AL. Uh, this puts them up. They got Kluber, too, if you want to mention, or the reports are they're going to get Kluber. Uh, we don't know what that's going to be like, but the reports are that he threw very well in his uh, showcase in front of, like, 25 teams. So, and he immediately got a deal with the Yankees right after that. So I'm assuming he threw pretty well. And I understand um, that there's a, a connection there that the individual who I think that oversaw, is true. oversaw uh, Kluber's rehab is on the Yankees payroll. So that, that, yes. certainly, make, that certainly makes sense. One of the uh, director of like health and performance, I think his name's Eric Cressy. Uh, it was also helped uh, him through his rehab. So obviously there's that connection, but still yeah. uh, Kluber, Supposedly threw well. Everybody, that's all the reports. And you know, the Yankees have some holes in their pitching, losing Tanaka and such. But I still think they're the favorites in the AL. Well, I'm I'm seeing some conflicting numbers here on whether it was a one or two year deal for Kluber. But either way, what a compelling storyline that's going to be going into next year. One of the most dominant pitchers in the last half decade, but we haven't seen him really since 2018 which was the final year of five years in a row of more than 200 innings, a couple Cy Young awards. The Indians were obviously winning pennants, going to the World Series to lose to the Cubs. So really, really exciting pitcher, but he's got 36 innings under his belt since 2018. So what is he going to bring to the Bronx, a ballpark that you can really mash the ball in? Yeah, he. he I, if he's healthy, he's been great. So I I, I, I think he's – he was a guy I wanted the Cubs to take a shot at, like just – I shot, I thought it'd be like $5 million. He's probably gonna get double that at least. So I can understand why the Cubs didn't do it, but I don't know. He, he seems like he has a lot a high up. It's going to be high upside, high risk because of the injuries, but the Yankees need pitching and the Yankees, their offense is stacked, especially with LeMahieu coming back. So I think they're going to be very good. One more uh, transaction to touch on here on the south side of Chicago. The White Sox go out and get the best relief pitcher on the market. Liam Hendricks going uh, now to the south side of Chicago on a four-year deal. Well, it's a three-year deal with a team option for the fourth year. Big statement from the White Sox here, throwing over $50 million at a big-time arm in the bullpen. And another move as they solidify themselves as one of the front runners there in the uh, American League Central. Yeah, it's an interesting deal. Uh, it's uh, my first impression of it was like, oh my god, that's a huge number, fifty-four million for reliever, especially when it was like originally reported as three years. Now that's four years, fifty-four. Because uh, I can't see any way they declined that last year unless 
he's just awful or hurt. But um, still, that's a huge number for a relief pitcher. And mo- most relief pitchers, multi-year deals with that. They have not performed well. I mean, we saw here with Craig Krimble, Kimbrell, um, who performed better at the end of last year, but from the start was not. I mean, the previous guy who had the higher, highest record for AAV before him was Wade Davis in Colorado. So we know how we know how that ended, right? So track record not that great. Obviously, Liam Hendricks been the lead pitcher for the last, I want to say, year and a half or two months. I'm talking about like elite, but he's been a very good relief pitcher for a long time. Um, so it's interesting. I don't know if it's necessarily the best move the White Sox could make for their team in terms of just improving their team because one, they have a pretty good bullpen already. Um, so they probably had a guy for that and throwing that much money. If you have that much money to throw, I, I throw a guy, a right fielder, you know, this is Adam Eaton or I throw it at uh, DH. They're going to need somebody, you know, there's a few other holes I would have thrown it at instead of at the back of the bullpen. Relievers have such terrible track records, but Liam Hendricks has been elite the last two years. I don't know. I, I mean, Hey, he's a great pitcher. So, We'll see how it goes. We'll see if he breaks the mold of, of relief pitchers and these major contracts. If they're going to throw it at a guy, you throw it at Liam Hendricks. But mm-hmm. I, I just, my opinion is, I'm curious how much LaRusso was in that wanting a dominant closer because I feel like you could throw that money elsewhere. He wanted an Aussie in the clubhouse. Yeah, definitely. Well, and um, probably, uh, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say, they're probably, oh, sorry, Randall. You know, it's probably them of the Twins right now in the division. They're probably about yeah. even. Uh, yeah, relievers, of course, are, are volatile, uh, volatile commodities. You can be great one year. You can struggle and be looking for work by the end of the next season. Uh, but 2019, Liam Hendricks, 25 saves, 75 appearances, uh, 85 innings pitched, 124 strikeouts in those innings pitched. Uh, an ERA plus of 237, you know, it's an imperfect stat for relievers, but uh, a fielding independent pitching of 1.87. And and again, that was in the last full season, obviously Uh, his numbers were excellent last year as well, but you know, small sample size, but as Jeremy said, uh, if you're going to spend money on a reliever, despite maybe history telling you that's not the best idea, you might as well spend that money on one of the best in the game. And Liam Hendrick, Liam Hendricks certainly has those credentials. So good for him for going from being uh, uh, kind of a journeyman to getting that kind of money in a fairly short span. And as Jeremy said, we will see if he can kind of break that mold of highly paid multi-year relievers, not really living up to those contracts. Probably signals the end of Alex Colome on the south side as well. A couple of nice years after coming over from Seattle. Uh, pitched well as their closer had an earned run average under one last year or two in the two months of baseball. Um, but he did some good stuff on the south side. But, I mean, obviously I think a statement move here for the White Sox. They got a squad, Randall. I know that doesn't always make you happy, but they got a nice team they've put together. And now they've gone out and gotten the best closer on the market. Um, they're going to win some ball games on the south side next year. You know, it doesn't make me a whole lot of anything. Uh, of the three people in here, you have the most contact with Sox fans, uh, and I understand that you keep track of that kind of to see uh, the arms race here in the city of Chicago. But as you said, they are putting together a team that's going to win some ball games if they can shake off the lead weight of their manager tied around their ankle, and it'll be interesting to see how the, how the season goes for them. 
they're they're gonna win. They're gonna win a lot of ball games. Though it's gonna be interesting because despite the Lindor trade, Carrasco, I wouldn't say Cleveland's super far away from making things competitive. They're they're not on the tier of the White Sox or Minnesota, but they're they're they'll hang around and you'll have and they have a very strong farm system. So it's gonna be an interesting division. Uh, you, you have a division that's like the NL Central that's very weak. The AL Central. I'm not super strong, but you'll have you'll have three teams that can compete, especially two in Minnesota and the White Sox, that should you know be neck and neck in my opinion towards the end of the season. And you know, I, I think those are two very good teams that'll definitely win. It'll be, it'll be a very good season for the White Sox, uh, a lot better than the last decade or so when they've really struggled to put winning teams on. So it'll be exciting. They have they have very exciting players. That is true. And, and as we get a little closer into spring training and have a clearer sense of one, what the season is going to look like to what the teams are going to look like. You mentioned earlier, Jeremy, some big time free agents still available now, a lot of war out there in free agency that are eventually going to settle and get on with teams. We'll go division by division. We'll take a look at what teams we think are going to be compelling, what teams are probably going to have a down year. And hopefully by then we'll also have a clearer picture of is Bryant going to be on the Cubs lineup is Wilson Contreras going to be around for opening day. Um, but a lot to talk about next time when we fire up another edition of behind the yellow line, any closing thoughts other than happy birthday, Randall. Well, that was my thought. My thought was a big old happy birthday. Um, you know, we didn't mention Christian Hernandez a little bit. Uh, the Cubs signed a few uh, international free agents today. And so that's exciting. You know, it'll be a few years before the cup, before these guys contribute in any way, but it's, it's going to be interesting without the the consolidation with the consolidation of the minor leagues, how the Cubs fit all these young shortstops they've acquired. It'll be very interesting to see how they all play. That's my final thought. <laughs> Randall, final thought. Uh, well, my final thought is not happy birthday, Randall, because that would be incredibly uh, self-aggrandizing. Um, uh, you know, something that occurred to me, it, it's great the Cubs signed Christian Hernandez, who by all accounts is an extremely talented 17-year-old shortstop on uh, International Signing Day today. I do kind of miss the off-seasons where that was not the most exciting signing <laughs> the Cubs would uh, enact over the course of the winter. Um, but, you know, good for them for replenishing, or not replenishing, but continuing to add at at the, the lowest levels in the minor leagues. And hopefully that leads to uh, another resurgence in the, the strength of the farm system over the next three or four or five seasons. Um, so good, good for them for uh, signing uh, highly touted players out of, out of the, the different countries. Um, it just would be nice to have a, a couple of free agent signings that aren't uh, maybe four or five or six years away at this point. I'm with you, Randall, and it doesn't have to be one or the other, but it is exciting now that the Cubs are stockpiling young, athletic, exciting talent. A lot of them are shortstops right now, but of course those guys are going to filter out to different positions as they age. Um, but it is nice to see some young names. And I think the next time around a couple of months into the year, when we're looking at the Cubs top 10, top 20 prospects, it'll be nice to have some new faces in there that are young and we can watch mature over the next couple of years. And as we said earlier, if Javi is in the lineup and healthy and performing, if Bryant's doing that, this team can still compete this year in a very bad division. Um, it's just going to 
we need a clearer idea of what is that lineup and roster really going to look like and what's the payroll going to be like when the Cubs take the field in 2021. Uh, but we'll get into all that more next time on Behind the Yellow Line. Randall, happy birthday. We'll see you next time.